Acts 1, 1-11, hear the word of the Lord. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, Two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Let's pray. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. No one knows how this pandemic and the effects thereof are going to affect our world, how they're going to affect politics and business, affect society, affect cultural customs, and we also don't don't know how it's going to affect the church. I read an article that predicted that 20% of churches in the United States won't survive this pandemic. They'll close their doors forever. And when I read that, I thought, well, that certainly is exaggerated. And that was several weeks ago that I read that. But as this grinds on, and as in some states like our own, where we maybe are moving backwards instead of forward in terms of the the outbreak, uh, it began to sink in that this could last a lot longer than we thought. And that getting back to normal may not ever really happen. That is to say, when this lifts, as eventually it must, when things change and we're able to regroup again, the church may look very different than it did before. And if so, and if we take advantage of this pandemic, that will be a very, very good thing that the church doesn't just go on with business as usual, that we can be better after this pandemic than we were before. Uh, If it were John Piper, he would probably say something like, don't waste your pandemic. Take advantage of your pandemic. And that's what we want to do as the Christian church. And that's one of the reasons that I chose a summer series on the book of Acts, because Our desire, my desire, is that we understand how the story continues. We finished the Gospel of John last week, and we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, the good news about Jesus, and then we have the book of Acts, 
that continues the story after Jesus' ascension. Now, many years ago, I preached through the book of Acts. And I'm not sure that it went particularly well, and I found it to be very difficult. And so I have shied away from preaching through the book of Acts. And there is a particular challenge in preaching the book of Acts, and it's this. Deciding in the book of Acts what is merely descriptive of what happened and what is normative, that is to say, what should always happen in the church. Because we read some very unusual things that the book of Acts describes. And if we ask ourselves, should this be the norm? Should we, for example, expect to experience people being raised from the dead after dying? Or should we hold all of our possessions in common? Or should we expect that some will get healed by by the shadow of somebody else falling upon them? Are these the kind of experiences that are normal in the Christian church? And one one key, one, one interpretive key to try to figure out whether something is normative, it should always happen in the Christian church, or whether it's simply descriptive of something very unusual that happened perhaps only once in Christian history, is to read the rest of the New Testament. And when we read the rest of the New Testament and we find the church described, we find there what is normative, what is normal, what is all the time in the church. And so what I've tried to do this summer is to pick representative texts that express critical moments in the the early church that are normative for the church in all ages. And we know these things are normal or normative because we find them in the rest of the New Testament emphasized as the experience of the Christian church. And what's the end game here? The end game is this. The hope is this. The, the, the purpose of this summer series is this. The hope is that we emerge from this pandemic looking more like what we find in Acts of the Apostles. That our church and that the Christian church looks more like the Christian church that we find in Acts. Now, what we have here in these first 11 verses, the first five verses are really something of a summary of the gospel message. And then we have in verses 6 to 8, we have a commission that Jesus gives to his sent ones. And then we have what's called the ascension, where Jesus is taken up. So the first five verses are something of a summary of what came before. And you'll notice he says, in the first book. And that raises the question, what? Which is the first book? And conveniently, we find the the person to whom this book is dedicated is named Theophilus. And if we go back to the Gospel of Luke, we find that that book was also directed to Theophilus. So we can figure out that this is a two-volume series. The first is the Gospel of Luke, and the second is Acts of the Apostles, written by the same person, and that's Luke, who was a physician, and he was also a traveling companion of the Apostle Paul. And it's written to the same person, Theophilus. Now, we don't know much about Theophilus, but we can surmise that Theophilus was a Gentile, that he wasn't a Jew, that he was fairly well educated, and that he was probably already a believer, but he was wanting more information 
about Jesus. And so he says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Began to do and teach. So he's saying in the first book, which we call Luke, he described what Jesus began to do and teach. And if we look at the rest of these first five verses, we find what he began to do and what we find what he began to teach. It says in verse 2, until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles, whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And so, here we have a summary of what Jesus began to do and teach. What did he begin to do? Well, the, the summary of his doing is that he suffered unto death, that he showed himself to be alive by convincing proofs, and he was taken up. So what was, what was Jesus' work? How does Luke summarize Jesus' work that he presented to us in, in the Gospel of uh, Luke? Well, it's Jesus suffered, Jesus rose, and Jesus ascended. So there we have a summary of the Gospel message of what Jesus did. And what did he begin to teach? Well, it says that he gave commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles, and he spoke to them about the kingdom of God. Now, we just finished the Gospel of John, and in the Gospel of John, you don't find this phrase often about the kingdom of God, but you find it in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and you find it all through Luke. And this was what Jesus taught. He taught about the kingdom of God. Well, what is the kingdom of God? It is the rule of God. It is the reign of God through Jesus who died, rose again, and ascended to God's right hand. It is His increasing rule over all the earth, and particularly over all those who believe in Him. Now, another thing that He did was, He told them not to leave, not to leave Jerusalem. We, we see in, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke that there are references to resurrection appearances of Jesus in Galilee. Galilee being the province in the north, Judea being the province in the south. But in Luke and Acts, he leaves out all of those that appeared in Galilee and focuses on Jerusalem and Judea. And that's where the focus is here. And he tells them to stay there and not to depart from Jerusalem. But I want to go back and pick up one more thing because it's, it's, a, it's a tantalizing uh, a tantalizing understatement or, or uh, implication. Because when, when Luke writes, my first volume is a, about what Jesus began to do and teach, and he even begins that with a little, a little word that we would translate something like, on the one hand, my first book was about what Jesus began to do and teach, but then he doesn't tell us, what the second book is about. But if we're, we're following the flow, what would we assume the second book is about? On the one hand, the first book is about what Jesus began to do and teach, and we would expect the second book to be about what Jesus continued to do and teach. And we find that that's the case. This is called Acts of the Apostles, but Luke didn't give it that title. We might rather call it Acts of the, the resurrected and ascended Jesus. Because that's what we find in this book. What he continued to do and teach. But he said, before anything else happens, just wait. 
Just wait. Verse 4. Stay there in Jerusalem. Wait for the promise of the Father, which He said you heard from Me. What's the promise of the Father? We find that the promise of the Father is the Holy Spirit. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So, He says, you have received this promise from the Father. How did they... How did they receive the promise of the Holy Spirit through the Father? Well, they received this promise from the Father in the, in the, uh, the prophets of the Old Testament. We'll see that next week, how God spoke to them about the promised Holy Spirit through the prophets. They heard about the promise of the Holy Spirit through Jesus, Jesus himself. He said, you heard this from me. We saw that in John 14 to 16, very powerfully. And he says, you also heard it from John the Baptist. So this is not an idea that was in a corner. It was announced in the Old Testament. I announced it to you. John the Baptist announced it to you. And he baptized. He washed with water in order to prepare the way for the one, Jesus, who will wash, baptize within the Holy Spirit. So he says, wait. Now, they were gathered together, it says in verse 6. And they had a question. And it was a reasonable question. Jesus had been talking about the kingdom of God, and he had said the promise of the Spirit that's been announced for generations is about to be given to you. So wait for it. And so they had a reasonable question. And it's in verse 6. When they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And they, they knew their, their Old Testament. They knew the prophets. They knew these promises about what God would do in the, the time of Messiah, that He would restore Israel. And so they wanted to know that if it was the time, if the time had come for Israel to be restored to its former greatness and even beyond. And Jesus didn't exactly answer the question. But He basically says, the question of the time... And the question of the season is not your business. Verse 7, he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority. He's fixed it, not for you to know. Now, we've recognized that this question was a normal question, a reasonable question for them to ask. But it also betrays a certain understanding of the kingdom of God it betrays an understanding that the kingdom of God was Israel. Because that's what it looked like in the Old Testament. And so they were saying, we're going back to the greatness of Israel, another David, one who came in the line of David, the son of David, and now we're going to back, back to, to the time of greatness in Israel, and even greater. And so, even though their question was, was reasonable, it also was parochial. That is to say, it was, it was small, it was thinking about the kingdom in, in localized or regional or national or political terms. And Jesus disabuses them of that, that parochialism because He says, it's not for you to know, but then in verse 8 He says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be My witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Now, this, this announcement that they would be His witnesses 
with the power of the Holy Spirit, once the, the Holy Spirit had been given to them, which we'll see next week, they would be witnesses, but not just in Jerusalem, not just in Judea. He doesn't mention Galilee here, but that might be as far as their minds were thinking. May Jerusalem, Judea, Galilee. But he says also Samaria. And then he says to the ends of the earth. And so by making this announcement, he expands two things. He expands the concept of the kingdom of God, that it is not some small corner of the world, but rather it is a kingdom that will stretch, even as we sang today, from shore to shore, from every shore to every shore. It will cover the entire planet, not just Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, but to the ends of the earth. So he expanded greatly the concept of the kingdom of God. But he also expanded the idea of power. Because they were looking at little power. They were thinking of political power. And Jesus expanded the idea of power way beyond what anybody could dream that political power could ever accomplish. Now, this, this announcement that it's Judea, I'm sorry, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, this is the table of contents for the book of Acts. And we will be noting each of these stages. The first seven chapters of the book of Acts, Jerusalem. And then we have Judea and Samaria, uh, chapter 8 uh, to chapter 11, roughly. And then chapter 11, all the way to the end of it, is getting to the ends of the earth and continuing to press out even farther after that. Now, this, this uh, expansive view of the kingdom also paints for us our task, the task that remains to be accomplished, because this book ends in Rome, which, if you're standing in Jerusalem in the first century, that looks like the ends of the earth. But even so, Paul wanted to go to Rome to get even farther to Spain, and maybe even beyond that. And we know much more about the world today than they knew, don't we? And so we know how very far the world goes, and we also know that the gospel has not yet gotten to the ends of the earth. And this, this, um, this call to be witnesses, you might think, well... They could be witnesses. Why? Because that's what they were. They saw with their eyes, didn't they? They were there. They saw Jesus. They were witnesses of all these things. And of course, they could declare what they had seen. But how can we be witnesses? Well, it's interesting to note that in the book of Revelation, you can look this up later, Revelation 2.13 and Revelation 6.9. This is after apparently all of the apostles are gone except for one the one who was writing it, who was John. So the apostles were gone. The original eyewitnesses were gone, except for John. But Christians are called witnesses. So not only the original eyewitnesses, but all of us are called to be witnesses. And that makes sense because the gospel has not yet gotten to the end of the earth. And how is it going to get to the end of the earth? Well, Jesus says, you will receive power to do just that. Now, this is a good reminder they had to be reminded that they ought not to focus on little power, like, like military power or political power, uh, that they weren't going to bring in the kingdom of God that way. And that's a good reminder for us today as well, maybe particularly in, a, in an election year, 
when different parties of all stripes are courting our vote, and they court our vote in order to offer us a piece of power, a place at the table, uh, access to those who wield immense power. And I'm not saying that, that political power is nothing at all, and that it can do no good, but if we as Christians sell ourselves as one more special interest group, then we, we sacrifice the, the great power that God has given us, the only power possible that will change the world by changing people's hearts from the inside for a little tiny piece of passing political power that can easily evaporate in the elects, the next election cycle. So just remember that. I'm not saying don't be involved. I'm not saying don't be responsible citizens. On the contrary. But I am saying keep in mind the, the differential here between the kind of power that Jesus is talking about here, a kind of power that takes His kingdom to the ends of the earth. We've seen that power. We've experienced that power. When I first got to Guadalajara, a city of some six million or so, with a very, very small evangelical presence at the time, it's different now, and it's different now because of this power. But I remember talking to people about why I was there. For some reason, they, they noticed that I wasn't from there, and they'd say, where, where are you from, and, and why are you here? And, and I would tell them, I'm from the United States, I'm a Christian pastor, and I'm here to start new churches. And sometimes that was the end of the conversation and the end of the, the relationship, but uh, others were interested. But I remember talking to one woman, and she was already a believer, but she was skeptical. I didn't know she was skeptical, but she was skeptical. And she became part of our church, an enthusiastic part of our church. But she was skeptical, and years later... Years later, she felt so bad. And she came back to me and she said, Larry, I need to apologize to you. I said, why? She said, well, when I first met you, and you said that you were here to start new churches, I thought in my heart, I didn't say anything to you, but I thought in my heart, what can this one North American do in this great city? Against such odds, and I feel so bad that I thought that about you. And I said to her, you were right. You were absolutely right. And she was saying that in the light of the fact that the church grew and it started other churches and developed and, and, and people were coming to Christ constantly. But she was right. I said to her, don't feel bad. You were absolutely right because this one North American has no power in and of himself to affect anything in anybody's life. But we got to be, she got to be, we got to be on the front seat, the front row, to see the power of the Holy Spirit to take the kingdom of God into people's lives and into a whole city that now is, is I wouldn't say teeming with, but at least with a very significant presence of those who are preaching the gospel from this word. The power of the Holy Spirit is what we're offered here. And then after giving this commission to his, his sent ones. By the way, that's what an apostle is. That's what the word apostle means. It means sent ones. 
And then in verse 9 it says, When he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing in the heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by and said, Men of Galilee, why are you looking in the heaven? Now, um, Peter, James, and John had been with Jesus when something like this had happened before. They were on the Mount of Transfiguration, and a cloud covered Jesus. And they were watching, and then Jesus reappeared from the cloud. So that may explain why they stood there watching, because they might have been thinking, well, we've seen this before. And he'll just come back out again, like, like we saw on the Mount of Transfiguration. So they were just waiting for that to happen. And any, any Jew reading this would also recognize the idea of the cloud. If you go back in the Old Testament, the cloud is how God manifested His presence oftentimes. And I think that's a legitimate reading here. Uh, the divine presence here receiving Jesus into heaven. But the, the two men, whom I think we should interpret to be angelic messengers, they asked them, why are you looking into heaven? You're looking in the wrong place. The way you saw him go, he's going to come back that way. But not yet. Don't stand looking in the heaven because you should be looking elsewhere. And looking in the heaven is not going to bring him back. He's going to come back in, in the clouds like he went. And that's, this is why we believe, because it's announced not only here but elsewhere, that Jesus is coming back. But there's an inter here. There's an interim period. There's a, there's a meanwhile. And in this meanwhile, we are not to stand looking into heaven. We are to look around us because we have been given a commission that is, that is horizontal, that is outward in our world. And that's the commission to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. This is the activity of the church in the interim. And now this seems to be, this seems to be like the worst time ever to be talking about missions, doesn't it? Because we've been locked down. We've been told, don't go anywhere. Don't get near people. Don't talk to anybody. And here we're looking at a text that is calling us to go out to the ends of the earth and be witnesses for Jesus. And this seems to be a very, very badly timed sermon. But, as I said at the beginning, what I'm contemplating is this. We may be looking at a, a reset for the church. A reset for the world, perhaps, but... Our concern is we may be looking at a reset for the church, an opportunity to be different and to be more biblical and to be better than we were before this pandemic started. And if we do take advantage of this opportunity to to hit the reset button and to go back to the the default factory-installed uh, methodology or, or uh, operating system that, that, that we got from, from the beginning, then, then we will organize ourselves in order to make a priority of being witnesses to the nations. I remember my last year in seminary, as our time was drawing to a close and we were about to graduate, it was embarrassing 
that we were acting like we were graduate students. And it is a graduate degree, but what I mean was this. We were getting concerned about our job. What, what job could we get after seminary? And as we were talking about this as students, and we were talking about it in class, I asked our professor, Dr. Roger Greenway, who had been a missionary in Sri Lanka and a missionary in Mexico, and became a, a, a professor of missions. And I said, Dr. Greenway, I said, what's going on here? I said, why is it that after being trained to be, to be expert witnesses, to be able to explain this book to people and explain the gospel to people, why is it that we who have received this training are having trouble coming up with a job? when many millions around the world have never even heard that this book exists, and never even heard that Jesus exists, and never even heard of the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I said, what's wrong with this picture? And he said, without any malice, but with sadness in his heart, he said, well, he said, the fact of the matter is this. The church and seminaries are not set up to get people out to be witnesses in the world. And if he was right, as I think he is, then we really need to take advantage of this reset. Because this is what we're called to do. This is the commission that Jesus gave us before He ascended. And we have indication that He's not coming back until we've done it. And He's given us all the means necessary to do it. Namely, the power of the Holy Spirit. So we have an opportunity to reset. To reset to this mission. This commission that God has given us. And what will that look like? Well, we'll spell this out as we look more at at this, this book of Acts. But there are four things that you can think about that can be different in your life, in my life, in our church. One is giving what we do with our money. Somebody calculated that of $1,000 of Christian income, we spend a dollar forty on missions, and we spend one point four cents on missionaries to the unreached. Something's wrong there, if that's anywhere near accurate. Our giving, our praying, our praying, and 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 we as a church have fallen into, if I could say that. Over these past few months, we've been praying about ourselves and protection for ourselves and and, and health. And that's a good thing to do. The Bible says we should pray about that, but not exclusively. And so we need to to turn our prayer lives, our church prayer lives, our our individual prayer lives out to the nations as well. So, So giving, so praying, and also going, going. The mission agency of of our denomination has a a goal, a prayer, to send 1%, 1% of our members 
to the mission field. Right now we're sending about 0.2% to the mission field. And they want to increase that by fivefold up to 1%. But if we increase our missionary force by fivefold, we need to increase the giving by fivefold, and we need to increase the praying by fivefold as well. But what else? There's, there's giving, there's praying, there's going. There's going. And there's telling as well. Wherever you might be, even if you can't go, you can tell now because you've been sent to this place. So, what are the areas in which we can hit the reset button? And in our values and our priorities and in what we do with the resources that God has given us, it's, it's giving, it's praying, it's going, and it's telling. So my friends, let's not, let's not waste this pandemic that, that God has brought on our world, but let's make sure that afterwards, whenever that might be, whatever that might bring, that we look more like this church. This original church that was called to be witnesses all the way to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Our God, we've we've been following guidelines, we've been staying in, we've been avoiding contact with people, and we're trying to do the responsible things as as neighbors, and we're trying to love our neighbor well. And we're trying to do our part not to contribute to the contagion. We pray, O oh God, that You would enable us not only to survive it, but to thrive out of this. And we pray, O oh God, that you've, as You've given us this opportunity as churches, those churches that survive this, that we would be different, O oh God. That we would be more like the church that You crafted and you, you sent out. And we know that that was no perfect church either. But it was a church on a mission to get the Gospel out to the ends of the earth. And we thank You, O God, that the Gospel has gotten this far. And we pray that we would not be the weak link, that, but that from us the Gospel would go out to the ends of the earth. O God, search us and enable us to, to transform our giving, our praying, our going and our telling, that more might hear about Jesus, so that we might hasten the day when Jesus will come back. And we pray this in His name. Amen.